you turn with me in your Bibles to Luke 9? Luke chapter 9. This can be found on page 1101. In Luke 9, we find a transition in the gospel. The whole chapter, chapter 9, serves as this transition and culminating in verse 51, where Jesus sets his face towards Jerusalem. In this chapter, we see, as in this evening, the first nine verses of Luke 9, which we will be reading, the disciples take an especial deeper role now in ministry. And so part of this transition from the Galilean tour, that's where the Lord has been so far, working in the gospel in that region, proclaiming the kingdom of God, preaching, doing wondrous works and miracles, and now turning attention away to the disciples' own instruction, to their own equipping, as well as he will turn later his attention to his own death as he heads towards Jerusalem. Before reading from Luke 9, let's ask for his blessing. Lord God, as we come to the reading of your word and the preaching of it, we pray for attentive hearts and minds and for a true word spoken from this pulpit, that the words would be accurate, the right interpretation, and Holy Spirit, that you would work it in all of our hearts, that we might be able to to see how you've equipped your people, how you so long ago equipped your disciples to do kingdom service, and how we still share in those ways to, as the church to spread your kingdom. And we ask that we would see, as we just sang, we have an anthem, and it's one church, one faith, one Lord, and we see that here. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 9, beginning in verse 1. And Jesus called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Thus far in the reading of God's word. It's time to do the job. It's time to take more responsibility. We all reach those points in our lives, don't we? whether it be in our house and home where our parents give to us a greater responsibility, greater privileges comes with it, that greater, that greater amount of duty. As you are raised and the, the, equipped, as you learn more, you go out and you do. We have this in jobs as well. We spend time learning. We spend time in training. And, and often we are sent out to go perform these tasks before we've got it all figured out, before we are masters of the trade, right? You won't be a master without having to be the apprentice, without having to go out and do. 
And at this time, we see the disciples have reached that point. They've reached the place where they are now equipped enough to go out and spread kingdom news. Now, we know from later in the chapter that the disciples don't fully grasp all that this means, that through their own service and through the, this additional time they will have with the Lord as he brings them to Jerusalem, they will learn more. But at this point, they are sent out and equipped to go deliver God's word and message, even Jesus' ministry, on their fingertips. As a result of their own touch, and their own voice, they are sent out. One pastor calls this text a foretaste or precursor to the Great Commission. I think that's a good way of seeing this. This is a temporary commission which they are receiving now. This isn't the Great Commission yet, but it's a foretaste of it. And you'll see that as we go through. There's, there's so many elements about it that are really just practice for what will come. And if practice is the wrong word, it's really just the first steps and the steps they will continue to take when the Lord gives them that full great commission to go into all the world and do this. But this time they're sent to the regions, to Israel, to go out and spread the news of the gospel as well as spread the kingdom of God itself. We see that in the first taste of this kingdom commission. We see that in the first two verses, and that's our first point this evening, first taste of kingdom commission. And what's, what's in this is the amount of authority the Lord gives. And he gives this in many different ways that we see in these verses. And the first way we see it is the, the, the authority derived. Where is this authority coming from? It's coming from Jesus, but he places it in the disciples themselves. Now, this is coming at a really good time. It's pretty amazing. Luke 8 had highlighted the authority of Jesus in wondrous ways. In amazing ways that we've walked through and seen the power of the Lord Jesus Christ and his authority to do all that he did to nature, to demons, to disease, to death. His authority in that. And then we see this. And this is amazing in the first verse. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to, and to cure diseases. Several messages ago, I was talking about how Luke 8, in one sense, is like a highlight video, a highlight reel of what the Lord is doing. Can you imagine to be one of the disciples and to see what the Lord worked and then to be called and equipped and to say, go out with my authority, with my power? What the Lord had just worked personally, he now gives to his followers, and they're called to go out and do the same. That's, that's a tremendous blessing and a tremendous responsibility to go out with this commission and the power of the Lord and his authority. And they go out, but the authority only is derived from Christ itself. That's the root of it. And that's the root of all authority and power in God's people, even in the church. We have to be careful how we read this text. What we don't want to do is simply read it and one-to-one -one apply everything there to us. We have to recognize that this was at a unique time in history. This was a temporary commission. This was to chosen few. This isn't then just corresponding one way to the church, but there are certainly the same principles at work here that they, the disciples, had that the church now has. 
And the same is true of the authority that they received, a derivative authority of Jesus Christ himself. We could say even a declarative authority, a ministerial authority. What does that mean? Well, that's the authority that the church has, a declarative one, a ministerial one. Well, what does that mean? It means that the disciples don't just have the right to go out and make up a message and to proclaim what they want and to do the deeds that they would desire. They have the right and authority to go out and do exactly what Jesus has been doing, to proclaim the same message they've heard Jesus proclaim. They've been with him. Everything that they've seen and heard has equipped them for this call to go out and administer it to others. A derived authority, a declarative authority to go out and declare exactly what Christ has done. But you see now the mission is being spread. It isn't just Christ. It isn't just he who's walking around the region. Now he sends out his disciples and his followers to do the same, to go out and spread that mission. Now, as the church, we have to take comfort and encouragement that the authority and power vested in us is that same power and authority, though perhaps not in that same way. And here's what I mean. Obviously, we aren't going out, and we aren't healing with a touch. We aren't going out and and having exorcisms performed in that visible way, in that manifestation of this power. We're not at the time where that was needed. It was needed during the time where the wondrous acts was lending verification to the messenger and the message that it was proving that they were from the Lord. It was supporting the message that they had, verifying and authenticating it. We don't live in that time. We have no reason to authenticate a message that's been so authenticated. We have no reason for miraculous acts to show us the kingdom, for it's been shown in God's word. It's been shown at this time. But make no mistake, the derived, the, the derivative authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is in his church. And in his church, then, we go with his power. And we go with his power to conquer the world. And this is seen even in this precursor commission to these twelve to go out and begin to exercise it. So we see this authority that's derived, but we also see authority over demons. Notice that he, the Lord, references that especially, that he gives them authority over all demons. As I already said, Jesus has impressively shown his power and authority over these spiritual beings. And to think now his disciples have that power over them all. By all accounts, they shouldn't. They, they, they shouldn't be able to have authority over what Scripture calls the princes and principalities of the world. Those who have a greater level of grandeur and power in that way but they have the power of the Lord. And so they have power over the spirit world. Power to proclaim in Christ's name. Power to drive them out of others. At the name of Christ, the devils will flee. At the power that he has given, they cannot stand over all demons. Remember in the last chapter that Jesus had, had delivered the man who was legion, who had, had a legion of demons within him. This authority is given to disciples, go out. These are ordinary men, but they have a very unordinary call. 
very great commission and look what they're able to accomplish something they can't do in their own power something they shouldn't have the power to do and have it and don't have it in themselves and how do we then understand that in light of the church as well Well, as i said we aren't going out and doing it in the same way but the same power and authority that protects us that is, the, the one that can drive out demons is the one that is residing in God's people. Is the one that goes out in power and through the message of the church, through preaching and through the lives of God's people, is conquering these demons, is conquering these forces. The same power then given to the disciples is given to the church, albeit in a way that looks different but in no less of a power and, and, and a derived power from Christ himself going out as his representatives. The church is the vehicle of God's kingdom in this war against these demonic forces. And we see it start here in this, in this infant stage to these ordinary men, to those who would be the foundation of the church even before they're equipped with that great commission to go out to all the world. They go it in these regions So we see the derived authority, we see authority over demons, but we also see an authority over disease. They're they're sent out not only to, to send demons away, they're sent to heal. They're sent to bring, to, to take the diseases away. They're sent to bring goodness to the world and to those around them. Why why are the disciples given this authority to heal? Here's four reasons. Four reasons why the Lord would give them this authority. First, by performing these signs, not only over demons, but over disease, they're wielding the supernatural power of God. And as I said, this is meant to authenticate their message. This is meant to show that they're the real deal, that they're legit, that they're ambassadors of the kingdom, because only kingdom ambassadors could do this. It's meant to support then their identity, their commission, but especially their message. For if they are coming out and healing and driving demons away and they're doing these wondrous acts, what does that mean about the message they're presenting? It means it's true and real. And what's more important, the healing or the message? And it's the message that's more important. And so the healing and these miracles are meant to authenticate the messengers themselves. That's why they're given power over demons. That's why they're given power to heal. It supports who they are and the message itself. Second, why are they given the authority to heal? By performing these healings, they are giving the people foretaste of the kingdom. We've talked about that a bit in the reasoning for Christ's own performance of miracles, but now the disciples do it as well. As they go out with a kingdom message, they go out with kingdom hors d'oeuvres, kingdom appetizers. It's like when you're getting married and you are choosing your your venue, you're choosing the menu, you go to that place and you sample them. The The whole ceremony isn't prepared. The wedding day hasn't come, but you go out and you pick what's going to be served there so that you have a little foretaste of what's in store of what you await at that celebration. That's exactly what's going on here. What kind of kingdom are they proclaiming? What kind of kingdom does God bring in? And it's one of healing. It's one that takes away disease. It's one that that sends evil forces away. 
Little tastes of the kingdom. That's what miracles do as well. It's, it's like there's so much energy around what's going on. There's so much around Jesus himself that the kingdom is just, is just sparkling through everything that's happening. Here is the kingdom. See these miracles. This is what the kingdom of God is like. It's a place without death and disease and demons. It's healing. It's life. And the disciples just... Just let's pause and get that. The disciples, these men who we know are, they're gravely flawed. And at this point, we know they don't fully get it. But this is what they're doing. They're waiters of the kingdom. They have the tray bringing little foretastes of the kingdom to those who would hear the message. That they would respond to it. That they would know it. And the third reason, that's the second one, the third reason is very similar. Not only are these healings foretastes of the kingdom itself, they're foretastes of the king. Foretastes of the king. It's a very closely related point, but one I think we should make sure we understand. When Jesus came to the world and when he sent out his followers to go proclaim his message and his kingdom, notice what it was not. It was not one of disease and judgment. And, and why not? Would God have had no right to send out more of an apocalyptic version of it rather than healing, bringing disease to the heartless people who had rejected? To those who didn't deserve it, why did they not come and rather have, have little kingdom hors d'oeuvres? Why wasn't there hors d'oeuvres of hell? That's what they were already living in. Demon possession, disease, we're still in it. Those are hors d'oeuvres of hell, not of heaven. Why wasn't there more of that? Because of the character of our king and the kingdom that he brings in is not hell but heaven to his people. That's a very encouraging thought. That the message we bring to the world is a message that actually offers that hope. That says, look at this kingdom of God, look at this king, and respond. There's life there, there's healing there. There's no possession there. Turn to him. So that's the third reason. Fourth, these miracles are meant to show the nearness of that kingdom. Remember what John the Baptist's message was, what Jesus' message was, and certainly now what the disciples' message is. Repent and believe, for the kingdom of God has come. And what this does then in in what they're doing is it's showing the kingdom is so near, it's so close, it's infiltrating into the present. It must be here, it must be coming on this earth, because what these men are doing can't be done without the king's approach without the presence of that kingdom and that message and the reality and truth. So it's revealing to those in the cities and towns to which they'd be sent, the kingdom is established already. It's here. That's an important point that we must maintain, even against other fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're not awaiting the kingdom. The kingdom has come. 
that we're not awaiting Christ to take up the throne. He resides on that throne already. And that as well is an encouraging thought. We are kingdom ambassadors ourselves, are we not? We are those to go and proclaim a message that the kingdom of God has indeed come. It's come in Christ. And the church is the vehicle to the world to show them that, that its approach, not only has it, has it come, its approach draws nigh in its fullness. When all of it will be revealed and, and the kingdom will descend fully in Christ again. Well, we see as well, as we switch gears from the authority to heal, we see another authority, authority to proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus commissions them with, send out demons, heal, but preach. Proclaim the message, and this, as I've said already, is the most important task that they're given. It's the message that stands supreme, and how do we know that? Well, Jesus has illustrated that well in his own ministry. Luke chapter 4 gave us that description and paradigm of his ministry, and what stands out above all the rest was the preaching he did, his proclamation, his message. That's what's central. That's what's central to the disciples. As I've already said, it's been the, the, the healings and the supernatural activities that stand in support of their preaching and not the other way around. What's of absolute importance to accept as the people in that day and in this day was not the earthly healing at the disciples' hand, but the kingdom message that they proclaimed. And in that, the church functions exactly the same. Because we may think, why, why not? Why don't we have officers and elders able to go out and with a touch heal we don't have that. We're not the disciples like that anymore. And, and we might think, have we received a lesser commission? Has the church received a lessening of the power? And the response is no. Standing central, fixed as its primary purpose in the church, is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. What's central to the kingdom's spread has not fallen away. In fact, it has become all that more relevant, all that more central and still supernatural. Still supernatural. The power of God's word has lost none of its potency. The spirit works in it supernaturally and transforms the lives of the people as he would then, he does so now. There's no lessening of degree of spiritual activity in the churches. We might think that, be confused about that, but that's not the case. The Spirit is as alive and well in our midst as He ever was and ever will be. He's in your hearts working right now. He works through the Word proclaimed. And that's the power and authority the church has to proclaim that message. God establishes his kingdom through that. He establishes it through a message to repent and believe the kingdom is near. The king has come. Place your faith in him. Our second point, then, we see provisions for kingdom conquest. 
We see that in verses 3 and 4 of our text. What's going on in these verses? Jesus tells the disciples to take nothing for their journey, to take no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no tunics. Don't, if, you, if you have one, that's good enough. Don't take two. We can't go to the zoo without having every type of thing we need and packages and, and lunch boxes and, and, and pairs of clothes and change of clothes. We can't go on a trip without packing the car full. These men were going out on a long journey and Jesus says, take nothing. Take no other provisions. This is bizarre. This is strange. Why would he tell them to do this? Well, first it shows time is of the essence. Time is of the essence shows there's no time to waste. That message needs to get out, and it needs to get out now. It's so pressing, it's so important. Think of it, if you were at your house and there was an emergency, and you had to go right then and there, you open the door and you bolt out of there. You just go, you don't take time to grab extra socks and extra clothes. It's so urgent, you're on the way. The mission has begun. So it lends it that urgency. That's what Jesus is saying. Here's this commission. Go into these villages. Go out and do it now. They need to hear it. Urgency. It's, it's of the essence. Second, this places the disciples in a, in a state of total reliance on God's provision, as well as the provision of others. Right? No, no extra money. No resources. This means they must totally and fully rely on God for everything. And you see, this, this is why we can't just take it one-to-one and apply it. Here's what I mean. Here would be a very poor application of this text. Let's go to the mission field and make no provision for it. Let's just go out with, with absolutely no planning. That's, that's not what this text is saying. It's, it's in this unique time and place to those who've already been equipped. Jesus is especially showing them, go out and so rely upon me because in truth, that's what kingdom work is. In truth, that is what the church must rely on, the provision of God just as these men had to rely fully that God would be there to provide their needs as they went out with nothing else. No other supports, no other safety blankets. They had to rely solely on him, and that's the church, that's our mission. There is no ultimate way to to plan and make it about our plans. We do the best we can, but we have to rely on God for it all. It's he who provides what he will. And that's it's not a broken system. That's the way the kingdom works. Relying on the provision of God. Third, this urgency, what leaving without any provision, shows their focus was not on their own wealth, as well as his instructions to them of what they should do when they came into these villages and towns they were to stay and reside in one place. They weren't to go from door to door seeking handouts. They weren't to go from door to door to try to gain wealth and to amass so much support. They were to go, and where they were received, they would stay, and they would be content with what they were given. It shows that the focus was not on their own wealth, One commentator phrases it well. It shows modesty is the rule, ministry is the focus. 
And that's what they were called to do. Peddlers of other religions, philosophers of the day, they would go out and they would make a living doing what Jesus is telling the disciples to do, but they were going to be doing it in a different way. It wasn't about that. It wasn't about the provision. What was first and foremost was their message. And that was their concern. And so that's the reason for Jesus' instruction. And fourth, it provided those who heard the message an opportunity to support the kingdom work themselves. Everywhere the gospel goes, everywhere God sends a messenger, if the the gospel is to be received there, there must be those who will support it out of their own means, out of their own resources. And that's what God was saying here, go out and reside in these houses. Stay there. There would be those who would support them. There would be those who would respond to the message and then count it not as a cost, not as, as something they wouldn't want to give, but rather they'd be willing to support what they had heard to support the kingdom of God itself. John, 3 John 5 is a New Testament example of this. 3 John 5 says, Beloved, it is a faithful thing for you to do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. It's an example of what the people of God do in response to that kingdom message to support the kingdom itself. Responding in faith. But our third point shows the reception of kingdom preaching. We see this in verses 5 and 6 as well as Herod's own, own response to everything he'd been hearing. How does the world receive the message? Well, we see that there's mixed results. We see that all do not receive it in the same way. What we've been doing then in seeing this little picture of a precursor commission, elements of the kingdom of God itself, and what we see is that the kingdom will come through Jesus' gift of authority, dependence on his care, urgent proclamation, and mixed results. I'll say that again. The kingdom will come through Jesus' gift of authority, dependence on his care, urgent proclamation, and mixed results. We see two different results to this message that the disciples bring. One is assumed. It's assumed in the text by those that receive the disciples, where the disciples would stay. There would be those who would receive and support them and respond to the message. But verse 5 gives us another response. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. The Jews in that day had a practice. They'd be in Gentile lands, and as they were about to enter the promised land, the land of Israel, they'd shake off the dust. It was a mark against that land that they had been in. That land was, was impure. That land wasn't the promised land. That land was judged. That land and the dust that clung to them was, was unholy. Is it not amazing then that Jesus takes a sign the Jews used against the Gentiles and turned it back on them? To show that for those who reject this message of the kingdom, those who reject the message the disciples were, were giving, had that sign of a covenant exclusion placed upon their own heads. Though uncleanness might be a part of it, 
Really, what the sign was when the disciples would shake off the dust of their feet was a sign of good riddance. A sign that you have brought this on your own head. That you've been, you've had the, the gospel proclaimed, you've had the kingdom brought to you, and you did not respond. And so what would come in judgment is rightfully brought against you. We actually see in this a precursor to the keys of the kingdom itself. The keys of the kingdom are preaching and discipline. It's preaching that opens it. It's discipline that closes it. And so the kingdom is opened by the disciples' message to all that they would come to, but for those who would reject it, there's that almost disciplinary action. There's that sign of it, shake off the dust of your feet. They have rejected the only message. They've rejected the only message that would save them. Judgment then would come, and so the kingdom brings mixed results. It brings a message of hope and healing, freedom from the devil, salvation and life to its fullness, or rejection and judgment. Herod's own response shows how far this message is spread. In place where it is, it would indicate the disciples' own work had met with great success. They had gone out, and, and everywhere, everyone is talking about this, is talking about this Jesus. And the, and the rumor mills are spinning and churning out. Who is this man? And Herod, now the ruler of the realm, is he's even aware of it. And he's confused. He's, he's wondering and hearing all these things. Who is this Jesus? He, is, he, is he Elijah? Is he John the Baptist? Is he another prophet? You can see his own mind working. I actually killed John the Baptist, is he saying. Is it him? It can't be him. Who is this Jesus? This actually sets up what's coming later in Luke 23 when Herod, during the crucifixion account, desires to see Jesus. He had long desired to meet him and speak with him. But it also just shows that the kingdom is spread, the, the urgency is being met, and people are responding. The message is going out. The urgency of the kingdom is important. Everyone is talking about Jesus through the commission of the disciples. And through what Jesus has taught us through this very commission. This commission Jesus teaches shows us the need to be urgent. Urgency, dependence, and trust. That's how we are to respond to this text. Urgency, dependence, and trust. And the alternatives to that would be half-heartedness and self-reliance and complacency. As a church, are we urgent or are we half-hearted? Are we urgent with this kingdom message? Does it, does it receive in our hearts that same desire, that same knowledge, that this message is life itself, this message much, must go out, or does it just receive a half-hearted response or half-hearted service? Yes, we're Christian. Yes, we believe these things. And we do it. It's a part of our life. Is it so urgent? Is it so central? We can lose that urgency. We can lose it as office bearers. As office bearers, it can just become the office. Just the job, just the role, but it isn't that. As officers in the church, you're in a very real way tasked as these disciples were, that this message would be urgent. Urgent even in our own hearts and lives. As congregants, the same application can be made. Are you half-hearted or are you urgent? 
This is the, the word of life itself, and without this there is judgment and death. This passage also teaches us not to be self-reliant. Because that's the other thing we can do. We can think if things are going well that it's just us, it's just what we're doing, it's our success. And we, we become self-reliant. We can do that even as a church. Oh, we're such a young congregation. We're, we're such a happening place, or we're growing, or whatever. And, and what we can end up doing, even when we see the, the fruit of what God is working, is thinking it's on us. It has nothing to do with us. We're instruments in God's hand. It should be actually humbling to us to see how much God's working through these disciples at this point, because we know that these men were not that key. They were not that grand. And look what God is doing through them. And that's us. We are not that key. We're not that grand. And so to rely on ourselves or our gifts or our strength or our wealth or anything else is ridiculous. Are we... Those who are reliant on God, are we those who are dependent on Him, or are we self-reliant, even in our own heart, in our own instruction, in our own gifts? I'm, I'm, I'm killing it. I'm doing exactly what I should be doing. I'm drawing so close to God through all these things that I'm doing. It isn't, it isn't our power, it's God. And only so far as we depend on him will we be either useful for to him or will we even grow as being dependent on him and him alone. This passage teaches us to trust and not be complacent. Complacency is a smug self-satisfaction with yourself and with what you've done. We are not those to be complacent, nor were the disciples. They were those to see the message and the authority, the power, the provision, the strength came from God. And so they trust in him. This is how we respond, and this is how we as the church go out in that same way. The kingdom will come through Jesus' gift of authority, dependence on his care, urgent proclamation, as well as mixed results. In that truth, we will see the kingdom of God come on this earth. The Heidelberg Catechism tries to unwrap what it means when we ask in the Lord's Prayer, Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's, that's our prayer. That's what the disciples were seeking. What does that mean? Catechism says, I think this explains well what we are called to do in our own search of the kingdom it means rule us by your word and spirit in such a way that more and more we submit to you. Preserve and increase your church. Destroy the devil's work. Destroy every, every force which revolts against you and every conspiracy against your holy word. Do all of this until your kingdom fully comes when you will be all in all. That is how we go out into this world and with the power of Jesus Christ, we go out to conquer demons, to bring true healing, to bring the kingdom of God. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, it is in your power, by your authority, that we stand here and are gathered here today. It is in confidence in your equipping and in your grace that we go into another day 
It is in dependence on you. It's not in complacency or self-reliance. It's not in half-heartedness that we desire to serve. Rather, we pray that we would be urgent in our kingdom service, that we would be those to seek your kingdom to come in our own hearts as well as in the world itself. Bring out and accomplish what we cannot, yet nevertheless what is our request. We ask this in your name.